Hi, I'm Kirsty Gallagher, and this is Give Us Your Goals, the podcast which finds out how some of the biggest names in sport and entertainment go about achieving their dreams. In this episode, I speak to the amazing Paula Radcliffe, whose distance running career took her to four Olympic Games and saw her win the London Marathon three times. In our chat, she tells me why she never set deadlines for her goals during a running career and why it's so important to remember that missing out on a goal doesn't make you a failure and can often make you a better person. Give Us Your Goals is a paid promotion by online investment platform Best Invest. Hi, Paula. Welcome to Give Us Your Goals. How are you, firstly? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, very, very good. Very thrilled to have you on this podcast series. I really am. So, so much to talk about. But let, let's start. I, I want to start from the beginning. I mean, you've achieved so much in your career. It's, it's unbelievable. But when you were young and you were in training and you had your sort of whole future ahead of you, what was your sort of clear goal? What did you want to achieve? Um, so I think my goal in the beginning was just having fun and just enjoying it and then that gradually evolved um, into a goal just to see how good I could be to see kind of I guess that was my ultimate goal by the end of my career to have run as fast as I was capable of doing it and to see where that took me and see where in the world that might be able to to place me I do kind of clearly remember my coach um, must have been about 11, 12 at the time. And I had a sticker to stick on my spike bag that said aim for the moon because even if you miss, you'll still land amongst the stars. And then I had another one which said, I'm not a star, I'm just a twinkle, um, which was, I guess, symbolising that it's kind of a growing pathway. Um, and what he was very good about was kind of teaching us to think about our goals, identify our goals, um, but kind of in a fun, relaxed way. So we used to have realistic goals and dream goals. And I used to write them down in my training diary for the year going forward. So every New Year's um, Eve, I would kind of sit down and write down my goals for the year ahead. And realistic goals were ones I was pretty sure I could achieve. Um, so I'd kind of tick those off, feel good, have a little bit of a, a celebration as I can hit those milestones. And then the dream ones were kind of rollover ones, not ones that... Perhaps I ever really thought I might achieve, but they were ones that I thought by trying to achieve those, I would kind of be further along in that kind of pathway of trying to see how good I would be. So ones that would stretch me, because unless I tried to stretch, you wouldn't know what you could achieve. So that's why I I kind of went with that side of it. So it's always for you more about short-term goals rather than that big end goal that actually... I know I think we're all we're all pretty much the same if you if you make things too big and and too much of a goal you often feel very let down don't you whereas it's much easier to do it in sort of in in little steps I guess yeah exactly um it's much easier to especially as a child I think just to have interim steps rather than one massive big goal also at that age it's really hard to formulate what might be the goal that you're trying to aim towards and lots of kids have no idea where they're going um, so to be able to kind of just have a rough, vague direction of something that you're aiming towards, but at the same time to get that pat on the back, even if it's just kind of yourself patting yourself on the back um, or your parents or, or somebody close that you have kind of ticked off those steps. You kind of, I guess it's just reassurance that you're on the right pathway. 
Yeah. So when you would sort of start your training or you were in your training regime, getting ready for a tournament or the Olympics or whatever you were embarking on, what? how did you sort of set your goals? How, how did you put your mind to that? Um, so by the time I was kind of at that stage and that level uh, of aiming for something, we would always start the main goal and work backwards. And again, that was something that kind of evolved, probably started with the English schools championships being my main goal for the season, cross country and track. Uh, and we would kind of work back from that with the interim races. My coach would do all the complicated training build up. And then by the time I was actually kind of going to Olympics to begin with the first couple, it was my coach doing most of the build up and then by the end it was kind of a, a like a three-way working together um, with my husband uh, my coach and myself uh, and kind of working towards the goal in that way but still the basic format didn't really change it was kind of main ultimate goal and then working back from that I guess the only thing with the Olympics is it became a four-year plan rather than a single year plan so rather than the main goal for the year the main goal might be in four years and so the interim goals would be kind of world championships, marathons uh, and different targets fitting in to that. And were there big sort of, would you say, sacrifices that you had to take to achieve those goals? Uh, and what did they look like? I guess, I mean, some people might call them sacrifices. I kind of, I didn't really. I actually liked that um, kind of being in the training build up. And it was only really towards the end when my body started to keep breaking down with injuries. And that was the frustrating part because that's kind of a goal setting process that you really don't want to be in is setting the goal to get out of the injury cycle. But in the actual training point, I, I liked it. I liked kind of that. I guess I embraced that mental challenge of trying to see how far I could push my body and mind in terms of through that tiredness and absorbing it and coming back the next day. But I kind of viewed being in that training cycle as fun too it was it was all part of the process kind of seeing what I could do and kind of maybe I'm a little bit <laughs> the way that I set my mind but I like that challenge of trying to overcome that fatigue and trying to still get out for the run uh, and get the session done and get back in from the session thinking okay I know I felt really shattered when I was going out for that but I still got it done I got out and I actually got something out of that so I'm one step further to achieving the goal I cannot imagine what you as a long distance runner the way your brain sort of has to work and, and it, that is incredible but that is part of also setting goals ticking them off moving on can you give me I mean you've, you've achieved so much I mean just three-time winner of the London Marathon European champion world champion you know fastest female marathon runner I, I, there's so many accolades that you, you you hold Paula can you tell me what the peak of your sort of career was is that possible I guess it is yeah it's it's really hard because especially when you get to kind of my stage kind of approaching 50 um, and kind of assessing things there are other things in my life like the kids that are actually obviously more of a peak no that's that's fantastic to hear that definitely they kind of take over and perspective and keeping them healthy and happy and juggling teenage things. It's, it's, it's more of a life goal and it's probably a little bit more challenging at some times than the actual athletic side of it. But the, um, the athletic side of it, I mean, I think the, the peak for me would have been kind of when I was setting the world record. So like 2002, 2003, because 
There's a period that when you're in it, you think it's going to last forever, where it seems like everything that you plan to do, you can kind of tick it off. And you kind of are ticking off those dream goals and beyond them. And so that was, uh, I guess, another key point with my goals. We had another mantra that kind of ran alongside the goals, which was no limits. So none of my goals ever had a finite time limit. So I would never say, right, I'm going to try and run 216, because what do you do if you're up on that time? So they were kind of all open-ended goals in terms of, yes, to win an Olympic gold medal, because you can't really, you can't go any higher than that. Um, so that was one of my goals. But then when it was to to run certain times, and a lot of times my goals were that, it would just be kind of to break the 30-minute barrier or to run faster than I had done or to beat the world record. It wasn't to run a specific time because myself and Gary used to say, well, what are we going to do if we're ahead of that in the marathon? You're not going to slow down. You're still going to try and, and run as fast as you're capable of doing. So I think it was really important not to set those, those finite limits. Um, and it kind of did feel like okay, let's just see in those years. And, and you think it's going to go on forever, but it doesn't go on forever. Um, you're kind of out of that purple patch, um, top period, peak period very quickly. Uh, it's quite interesting to hear you talk in that way that, you know, we, you would never set a goal time really because what happens if you smash it? Well, <laughs> a bit pointless. What, what, is that the way most long distance or, or, or distance runners work? I don't know. Um it's the way we worked. And I think it's similar to the way that Gary works now um, with his athletes. So with Mo Farah, um, with Bashir Abdi, I think it's pretty much the, the same thing that they certainly don't aim for specific times. But I don't know about other runners. They might have specific times. Um, I guess some, uh, and I used to do that in the beginning might have a time that they're aiming for and then kind of scratch that and move on. Um, so kind of little things like I did used to have at one point there was, um, is there a perfume out called 215 or something like that? Oh, I don't know. There was something where I kind of did, I did have that and I thought, well, I'll use that for a little bit, but then when I go past that, I'll move on. Um, but I never got to go past that. Um, so kind of, li- yeah, little things like that. Um, I would kind of just have little reminders of kind of the goal that you're working towards, um, just around the house and things like that. And even the length of my long runs. So the length of my long runs used to be 215, um, because that was the aim of the time that I was roughly working towards and then we figured okay well if I go quicker then I'd shorten I'd get to shorten the length of my long runs I mean I wasn't covering the marathon distance in them but that was just kind of a symbolic thing the the, the time that I was aiming for oh I'm doing a half marathon in a few weeks I mean you're going to massively inspire me if I can just do it in 215 I'll be very happy and that's a half marathon but anyway so yeah I mean so it wasn't all plain sailing though it never is for anybody and obviously as I said you've achieved so much but when you lost the women's world marathon record to Bridget Koske. How did that feel for you? What what was that like? It was strange. I mean, I think you're first of all, you're key when you say it's it's never plain sailing. And I think everybody knows that and you kind of accept it. And there are there are there are things that are within your control in sport and there are things that are out of them. And certainly kind of 16 years on from setting that time, there wasn't an awful lot I could do about it. I wasn't going to be able to be go back out and get it back again. Um, So it was completely out of my control. And it's really funny because in the beginning, when I set the world record, you kind of think, okay, if someone goes and beats it, then I'll go back out and try and get it back again. 
But when times moved on that much, it actually started to feel like it was kind of part of the family. Uh, and people used to say, I don't know if it's ever going to get broken. And of course, records are meant to be broken. And I had seen the shape that Bridget Cosguy was in that year. I'd commentated on her at the Great North Run, seen how fast she ran then. And I knew she was capable uh, of beating the, the world record. And I was in Chicago. And when she went out as fast as she did, I was actually texting Steve Cram because he was commentating back in the UK on it. I was in Chicago. I'm texting him going, oh, my God, it, it, it's completely gone. And he's like, no, no, this is stupidly fast. You can't do that in marathon running. She's going to blow up. I'm like, she's not blowing up. She's not blowing up. The writing was clearly on the wall at that crucial point of like 25, 30K, where if you've gone out too fast, it's going to come back to bite you at that point. And she started to get a little bit quicker again. Um, so then it was very clear. And I was kind of in like a big um, tent at the end of the race with all of the hospitality um, and the event guests for the Chicago Marathon. And one of them was Dave Bedford. Uh, and Dave Bedford, of course, had set, uh, he was there when I set the world record in 2003. He had invited me to that race. And he'd also held the world record himself at one point. And he was kind of laughing at me. And he came over and he said, um, you know what? He said, you're going to be exactly the same person in half an hour. You're not going to turn blue or anything like that. The world will continue. It's exactly the same thing. And he said, all these people are just going to watch you. And they think you're going to change a different color the minute you're not holding the world record. So he said, that's what's difficult now is you're kind of in the spotlight. But it was just, it was so true what he said. And I think kind of everybody always does that, don't they? When a world record gets beaten, they kind of pan to the face of the person and you expect a reaction. But of course, there's going to be some kind of like uncertainty there because what do you do in that moment? Because nothing prepares you for that moment. And I was actually then quite glad that I was there and I had all these people around me and I had lots of things that I was supposed to do for the sponsors and things. So I had a mission to, to go on. And then I actually went right out onto the finish line and I was kind of shaking the hands of all of the, the finishers and putting the medals around their necks as they crossed the finish line. So it was like this surreal moment of go meet Bridget, shake her hand, get some pictures taken say well done and then go and hand out the the medals to all the finishers and of course they're finishing and a lot of them have got no idea so they're saying okay I'm going to get my picture taken with the marathon world record holder I'm like actually I'm not Uh, and so I'm kind of having to tell them as I'm doing it and carrying on but at a certain point you go back to the hotel and sit down and then I think no, nothing's actually changed. I'm very much the same person. My family are absolutely the same people. Uh, and for me, nothing has really changed. It's just kind of within the world of marathoning that things have moved on. But for me, I'm just exactly the same person. So yeah, it was, it was a very surreal time. But at the same time, you look on it an hour later and you think nothing's really changed. For 16 years to hold the record is incredible. I mean, that's a huge feat that you achieved. So you you must partly have gone, yeah, do you know what? It's all right. It's all right. I know it's not ideal. (laughs) Listen, I sound very non-competitive. I'm very competitive. But I guess guess that, you know, you have achieved that for so long. Someone was always going to come in and, 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 like you said, records are for breaking. Yeah, and it kind of felt a good fit to me, um, like you said, I'd achieved my goal in setting the world record. I'd run pretty much as fast as I think I was capable of doing that day in London. I thought I might run quicker later on. That never materialised. But marathon is about kind of maximising your potential on the day and seizing that opportunity. It's not like it comes around very often. Uh, and it felt a very good fit to me because in Chicago in 2002, I had set the world record and taken the world record for the first time. 
and I'd run two hours 17, 18, but when I crossed the finish line, it was two hours 17, 17. And just a quick story, not to take too long, but my grandma, who I was extremely close to, she was born on the 17th of December, 1917, and she weighed less than three pounds and they didn't think she'd survive. And she lived to 95, nearly 96. And um, she was a huge inspiration to me. But my she was married on the 17th of, I think, July. My dad was born on the 17th of February. My aunt was born on the 17th of June. I was her first grandchild and I was born on her birthday on the 17th of um, December. And then much later on, Isla was born on the 17th of January, 2007. So she was 1717. And so when I crossed the finish line in Chicago, Gary immediately handed me the phone. He said, ring your grandma. And I said, grandma, guess what time I ran? I set the world record, guess what time I ran? And she went 17 minutes. And I'm like, no, it's a marathon. You have to start with two hours. Two hours, 17, 17. And then I held it. I held it for 17 years, so I improved it. And the world record I set in London lasted 16 years. But I actually held the world record for 17 years, and it was broken in Chicago, pretty much 17 years to the day. Um, so for that part of me, it did kind of feel this is a fit, uh, and it's a pattern. And yes, I would love to hold it forever. But the fact that that 17 years just felt, it felt good. And if she'd still been alive to see that, she would have said, okay, that'll do. That'll do. I was just going to say, isn't that wonderful? That's quite a sort of um, (laughs) symbolic, symbolic moment, isn't it? And and Paula, just talking, I mean, listen, as I said earlier, it's not all plain sailing in anything we do. There's always positives, negatives, success and failure. I mean, at points in your life where you'd set goals, did you feel that you had failed? Are there points that you can talk about that you can go, yeah, do you know what? That that didn't work for me. Um, yeah, and I think that's when I go back to, to what my coach said in the beginning. I said, okay, we're going to set these dream goals and realistic goals. Some of the dream goals you will probably never, ever achieve, but the goal is in setting those that you stretch yourself to achieve things that you wouldn't have done had you not set that goal. Um, so absolutely. I mean, my goal then was to win an Olympic gold medal. I never did that. And yes, um, that hurts on a certain level because I think on the right day with the right luck behind me, I could have achieved that. Um, but I didn't, but I never set a goal, a goal to hold a world record for 17 years. I never set a goal to be the first person to, um, run 215. Um, I think I might actually be the only person to have ever run 215 because I think Bridget skipped right over them. So um, I never set that goal and I never even then set a goal to win the world championships. I did set goals to win the world cross country. So I think by setting that Olympic goal, I achieved those other goals. And had I not set that and not gone out on that pathway, then maybe I wouldn't have achieved those. So yeah, I think that's important to kind of recognise that there are lots of goals that we set in life that we never get to. And it doesn't mean we're a failure. It might mean a bit of fleeting disappointment, but that's what fuels you to achieve more in other areas and to kind of keep driving yourself. I think if everything, if we achieved every goal that we set easily, there wouldn't be as much purpose and motivation in life. So um, I kind of, yeah, I think that's part of life. It's part of life's experience. It maybe makes us into a better person because somebody who achieves everything that they try and do probably starts to become maybe a little bit full of themselves. <laughs> I don't know. Well, no, absolutely. I think you're right. <laughs> Paula, we talked about how you sort of achieved your running goals, but what about sort of financial goals, I guess, to enable you 
to do your best? How did you deal with that? I think I, again, I was really lucky that my dad kind of gave me a lot of really valuable advice growing up. Even, I mean, bearing in mind I was a teenager in the 80s, I kind of had the little Barclays Junior Saver account and he was putting (laughs) the money in each month and I had to manage that while I was already at school and then moving away to university. I guess I was pretty unusual in terms of the fact that I was going away to university already with a kit sponsor, already with a pension, which was really weird um, to have that kind of set up there. So, and my dad was instrumental in, in making sure that I was set up with a management company that was kind of looking after the financial side of things, as well as the performance and commercial side of things. So yeah, things like the investments they were putting in place, I was already starting a pension scheme that I've been withdrawing on since I was 35. So that was really weird because I was still, I was getting my pension and I was still competing the way it worked out. But it was just kind of that forward planning with that and really instilling in me that kind of understanding that at that stage, it's not your money. It's like you're running a business and your business is you and your performance. So what you're earning is not yours to spend on a car or whatever. It's yours to reinvest in altitude training, in nutrition, in massage, physiotherapy, things like that to make sure that you get the results down the line. And so that was, I think, really key and important that I understood that from the beginning. And then that kind of, I, I guess, just became a way of life. And that's the way it worked then when we got married and the way it's kind of worked moving forward. But I think understanding that at a young age was something very key. And that's what I try and do with my kids now, even though with an 11-year-old boy, it's very different to a 15-year-old girl's understanding (laughs) of pocket money, investment, savings. It's hard work with him uh, at the moment, but it's trying to get him to understand that that's kind of life skills going forward, that when you, yeah, I had to get to a certain age before I understood what my dad had done for me there, but I'm extremely grateful that he did do that. And I'm trying to repeat that with my kids now. Oh, I can completely empathise with, with you on that, with, the, with similar age children and how important that is. I'm doing exactly the same, but it's so difficult. And for you, you had that added sort of, I guess, not stress, but concern. You had to, you know, you weren't getting a lot of income, really. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of athletes fall by the wayside if they haven't got that sort of sensible head and and that sort of, I guess, help in a way or, or someone guiding them. It's so difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's key. It's someone guiding you, and it's the advice and the understanding because it can happen very quickly in sport, and suddenly you can go from earning not very much to huge amounts and it can go the opposite way as well and i think it's it's understanding that, that it is a fickle industry really you always kind of one injury away um, on the female side one pregnancy away from everything being on hold so you kind of have to get used to to managing and understanding that it's not your normal this is what I'm going to get paid every month. So this is what I can spend every month. You have to save for a rainy day and you have to kind of think ahead a a little bit more in sport and be flexible and kind of, yeah, not get carried away when it's on those high months because bearing in mind that there will be those other days when you actually need to draw on that. And I guess that probably helped us going into COVID as well, honestly, because everything stopped then. 
And having that mindset, okay, this is a bit like being injured. We kind of need to knuckle down, be careful, not spend too much here and rely on the bits that we have saved when we were doing well to get us through this bit. And so I think that probably helped with kind of the impact of COVID as well, just having that mindset from earlier on in our careers when we were kind of trying to manage that. And I say are because it is very much a team with kind of me and Gary just trying to work things out and manage things working forward. Mm, yeah, very good point. Very, very good point. So let's just talk about, you know, going forward and, and the future. What What's next for you and what are you working on? I'm presuming if you've always been a goal setter and an achiever as you are and, and incredible, um, you know, there will always be things that you still want to achieve or that you're sort of in the middle of at the moment. What What, what can you tell us? I mean, I think those have always been there, to be honest. Um, the goals that I would make growing up were not just goals for my athletics career. They would involve school. Later on, they would involve university and they would involve kind of wider the way that I behave within my family, with my friends and being there for my friends and things like that. So, and I guess different life experiences that you go through shape those. So, I mean, for example, when the year that I'm pregnant with Isla, that was my goal then to be the best mom that I could possibly be. And that's still very much a goal now. And it's an evolving goal because you have to, well, you, you know, you have with a teenage girl, you have to be there, but not be there and kind of not be embarrassing, but at the same time, be there to pick them up and to help them out. And when they've forgotten their homework and they need helping at midnight. It's very different to, to when they're a toddler and it's actually easy in a way, but it's something very new then. So you're kind of learning as you're going along. Uh, then the experiences that I went through uh, with the media and in 2015, I guess, really consolidated in my mind that one of my huge goals is to be there for my friends in the way that they were there for me mm. and that they were there to be that person at the end of the phone, picking me up, a shoulder to cry on and make sure that I'm there for them moving forward as well. And then careers move on. So now my career obviously isn't any more to be able to touch my personal bests and my performance side of things running. It, it's more kind of, I guess, more abstract goals in terms of I want to, to give back to running, to introduce as many people to sport and to the power of sport and the beauty of sport. Again, coming out of the pandemic because of the number of kids that have been impacted by that. And I really think that's the ticking time bomb. I think we spent a lot of time looking after and worrying about the needs of the vulnerable areas of society and kind of forgot the kids and everything stopped for the kids, sport, education, social contact, and it's getting them started again and making up for the lost time at a crucial time for them. So that's a huge area that I'm working on at the moment, trying to also improve, which is always an area I can improve on in my commentating and in the kind of that role of things. And Stay on top of things too, I guess, because as a kind of post-athlete career where when you're an athlete, you have that luxury of really being single-minded and I'm just focusing on this and that's all I have to do. And now sometimes I think, oh my God, it feels like I've got so many balls up in the air and I'm <laughs> running around trying to, to keep them all in the air. So to be more organized with that and to um, do a better job at all of those is, is another life goal. So they do keep evolving all of the time. And I think it's also, again, probably more so now, being able to say, okay, you know what, give yourself a break as well. You can't get them all. So just trying to get them all is, again, trying to succeed and is kind of moving towards those goals 
in its own right. So yeah, be kind to yourself becomes another goal and having to learn to, to let things, let things go and ask for help as well. Because yeah, it's, it's different to being able to focus single-mindedly on something like when we were being a professional athlete. Yeah, I get you completely. Our, our children, and I remember when you were uh, pregnant with yours, uh, with Isla, and I was pregnant with Oscar, and we've sort of cut, you know, obviously I wasn't doing quite as brilliantly in, in, <laughs> in a sporting career as you, but I was doing, you know, whatever I was doing, radio, I think, and talking to you, and we were very much kind of trying to juggle everything. And it's that same thing. You're right. You go through your life, you have different phases, then you're trying to be the best there and it's and it's hard not to kick yourself and go oh god you've not been perfect you're not yeah yeah doing that as well as that and how can we do everything but listen i mean paula amazing to speak to you thank you so much good luck with that those goals that you've still got you know setting in your sights especially those with with helping others and giving back regards post covid which i think is so vital but paula honestly thank you for coming on give us your goals it was a joy to speak to you as always Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a review and a rating in your podcast app. And most importantly, tell a friend about it. Give Us Your Goals is brought to you by online investment platform Best Invest. Best Invest believe that a consistent approach to setting goals allows for a far more comfortable future and that your hard-earned money could work harder through being invested. If you'd like help achieving your financial goals, Consider Best Invest, who offer a wide range of investments, free expert coaching, smart planning tools, and competitive pricing. Visit bestinvest.co.uk to learn more. Remember that when you invest, your capital is at risk. Best Invest is a trading name of Evelyn Partners Investment Management Services Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.